Just imagine a world where you will hold your entire future in the palm of your hand, when a tiny glowing crystal will guide you through an existence in which each day is more wonderful than the last, where it will be possible for you to obtain the fulfillment of every fantasy, the satisfaction of every vanity, the absolute attainment of every wish. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer presents the Saul David production of Logan's Run. A fantastic journey through a world beyond imagination. Welcome to the 23rd century. The perfect world of total pleasure. Imagine a world in which you need never be alone. You touch a switch, turn a dial, and the perfect lover steps into your arms. Every pleasure is yours to experience. Runner! There's just one catch. When the tiny crystal in the palm of your hand flashes its final message, your time is up. Michael York is Logan. Run, Logan! Policeman in a perfect world. No! Trained to track down runners. <laughs> until he is forced to run himself. Stand. We all go crazy once in a while. But she's a runner, and it's over. Box, an incredible being. More than human, more than machine. Diabolical guardian of the gateway to freedom. Or Logan and the woman who loves him. MGM takes you into a new age of adventure in the first motion picture of the 23rd century. Logan's Run. It begins where imagination ends. All right, Dan, are you ready to show up for Carousel? Identify. Yeah, hi, Rob. How are you? <laughs> now, are you a are you a uh, are you a Rob Five? Are you what would your what is your designation? I, I, I'm a Rob Seven, I believe. I think is my my yeah. official designation. Yes, of course. We're here to talk about Logan's Run, the 1976 sci-fi blockbuster from MGM, directed by Michael Anderson and stars Michael York, Jenny Agutter, Richard Jordan. Set in the far-flung future of 2274, the remnants of human civilization live in a sealed city contained beneath a cluster of geodesic domes, a utopia run by a computer that takes care of all aspects of life, including reproduction. Everybody. Based Basically lives a hedonistic life, but to maintain the city, everyone must undergo the ritual of carousel when they reach the age of 30. There, they are vaporized and ostensibly renewed. Track this, each person is implanted at birth with a life clock crystal in the palm of their hand that changes color as they get older and begins blinking when they approach their last day. Most residents accept this promise of rebirth, but those who do not and attempt to flee the city are known as runners. An elite team of policemen known as Sandmen 
outfitted in predominantly black uniforms and serving in an agency of the city called Deep Sleep, are assigned to pursue and terminate the runners as they try to escape. So, uh, Dan, like uh, this movie, you were super excited about it. Uh, let me give everybody uh, some. Let me give everybody a little peek behind the curtain, the way we sure. do things, because of course I write I write uh, the real retro cinema column for thirteenthdimension.com, and I pitch Dan ideas for what movies we want to talk about, and I would write a movie, and he would say, "Yeah, go ahead," and then he would write back in in small type. Logan's Run. And I was like, okay. So I, I would write back another movie. What, what about Swamp Thing? And he would write back, okay, that's great. And then in slightly larger type, Logan's Run. Okay. So then finally this elevated to the point where I got like a fifth email, which was in like like 48 point type. It said Logan's Run. So I was like, I think I got the message. I guess I'm supposed to do Logan's Run. So we're, yeah. here, we're here to talk about Logan's Run and we'll be, I'll be doing a separate post on Real Virtual Cinema about it. But it's like, Dan, like, what, what was it about this movie that you were so excited about? Well, well, the thing is, actually, to, to point that, that I, you've now revealed to uh, to your listeners what my management skill is. <laughs> Basically, just being being a persistent asshole until the other person gets the message. Now, I, you know what? I don't know what it, it occurred to me that, that, of course, it was one of those great '70s things that uh, I've never really written about at the site. We've never talked about. It just kind of popped into my head because. You know, I, I, I tend to focus on the basic food groups, you know, of 1970s, you know, childhood, you know, Batman, sure. James Bond, Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, you know, later on. But but the but for me, the, the weird thing is that Logan's Run really was it for me, other than 2001, as far as science fiction, until Star Wars came along. Right. This was the sci-fi blockbuster before Star Wars. And it also actually, in a way... Kind of is a dividing line between the two types of sci-fi. The, you know, the dystopian, you know, from the late '60s, really, you know, most famously with *Planet of the Apes*, until *Logan's Run*. You know, all sci-fi was like basically soiling green. You know, versions of soiling green or right. versions of *Planet of the Apes*. And this movie actually has a bit of both. And then *Star Wars* comes along, and then it's all blockbuster, feel-good, you know, swashbuckling heroism. It's a real dividing line. But for me, this movie was particularly memorable as a kid. I think in some respects it's kind of been lost a little bit. I, I think maybe because it's only the one movie, a lame TV show, seven comic books. And then that was pretty much it. You know, I mean, of course, these came from the book and there was a series of books, but it, it's nothing like that. And and they weren't exactly like reading Fahrenheit 451. So it, it's not to be dismissive. I'm just saying in terms of its you know cultural significance. So it was just one of these things that hit me kind of out of left field, and I was like, you know, we really should do this because there's a lot to say about this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I had I saw it years and years ago, back when I was working at the video store, and and I remember it didn't leave a huge impression on me. It it really is the the last iteration of what you're kind of talking about, which is the sort of adult sci-fi before right. George Lucas came in and just just took over the place. Right. And and you know this fits in as you just said quite well with Soylent Green and Planet of the Apes and Silent Running and 2001. It's it's all very heavy yeah. uh, science fiction. And, I mean, the whole idea is, of course, you know, everybody lives in what basically looks like the Mall of America, I would right. guess. And yeah. it's it's everybody – everybody wears the same outfits. It's basically just like on these red and green diaphanous, you know, uh, dancer costumes that everybody walks around. And nobody has to do anything. Nobody works. Right. Nobody does anything. Everything is run for you by these computers. And, you know, the opening sequence is uh, – I remember – I didn't remember this this opening part, and so you know, it might just 
had been that it's been so long since I saw it. But like the opening sequence where they make everybody watch the carousel, which is where the people that are have hit thirty have right. to be renewed, is very strange. And it's, it's got to me, it's got more than a touch of a horror movie to it. Or the way these people in these creepy masks. Which reminds me of something out of like Suspiria or something. Right. They're they're elevated, they're elevated right. into the air, and they're just basically exploded. And wow. you, you cut to everybody watching. Everybody's like, "Yay!" Because they all believe that they're being regenerated into a new body. But I don't right. even think you even need to know the hook of this movie to watch that sequence and go, "These people are not being regenerated." Right. No, this is it's horrifying, and and. That's that's actually one of many disconnects in the entire movie. But let me ask you again: You said you saw this when you were at the video store. So, how old were you roughly when you saw this movie the first uh, time? Early tw- late teens, early twenties. Okay. See, I saw it in the theater when it came out. Okay. So I was eight years old. That's and... heavy. That's a heavy movie to take an eight-year-old to. Well, I mean, we—that's but it was like you see the commercials, and it's like a sci-fi movie. Right. You, know, you figure it's laser guns and. And whatever. And it was me and my sister and two friends of ours. It was just one of these cases where the parents dropped us off. It was the Brunswick, yeah, the Brunswick Square Mall in East Brunswick, New Jersey. Go, go have a good time, kids. So we go to McCrory's. <laughs> no helicopter parenting. No, not, a, not at all. No, you know, we you know, buy the garbage at the at the McCrory's, and then we, we you know go into the you know because it was cheaper to get our Twizzlers there, and you know, and then go into the Brunswick Square with the food tucked into our shirts. <laughs> You know, and we'd sit down and we'd watch Logan's run. And my mind was blown. But the thing I'll say about the movie is that it gets right to it. You start right in and you're like, yeah. holy shit, what the hell is this? And I remember thinking when I was that age, like you said, you knew something right away, something was off. This was not some celebratory thing. This is scary. I mean, they got those white masks and the red flashing thing. And then when they take off the robes and they've got the fire, I mean, we already know that the people who live in this in this dome city are pretty stupid as the movie just kind of progresses. Right. But they're really stupid if they're all sitting there thinking these people dressed up in these horrifying costumes and being blown to bits in front of them. Like somehow that's a good thing. Yeah. So the computers really did a hell of a con job on these people. Right, right. And then right after that, I mean, we talk about that. We see that um, Michael York and Richard Jordan are the, are the Sandmen, which are basically right. you know, the, the enforcers of anybody that chooses to not participate in Carousel. So, so they, chase this, they chase this guy down who doesn't want to subject himself to Carousel. And when they zap him, his body turns to mush. Like this so awesome. red goo, and it's really hard. And then you have these guys come by on a little like a uh, jetpack thing, and they just like run some dust over it and reduce the the goo into just nothingness, and he disappears. And again, it's like for a movie that looks like a kids sci-fi movie, it has these horror elements because that's really horrific to watch. The guy just turned into pulp and then just I... disappeared. It's really really creepy. Same thing. I remember the first time I saw it and just being like alternately like, wow, that's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but also that's really, really scary. This is like sinister stuff. So you're, you're, you're not 10 minutes into the movie when you realize this is something's wrong here. Right. You know, something is really wrong. And, you know, this this and the way they taunt the runner, the way the way they seem cruel. They don't seem like here. You know, you you you. You get the sense they're supposed to be the heroes when it opens, you know. When you're, especially when you're that age, you're, you know, you're kind of conditioned to think, oh, they're wearing the uniforms, they're running around, they've got the cool laser guns, you know. It opens up with them; they seem like nice guys, funny, joking around. You think they're the heroes when you find out very quickly that within ten minutes, these guys are the bad guys, and you know it. You know, you can see 
that they taunt the person. They're laughing about the fact that the guy's running away and they're having a good time, you know, hunting him down. It's really sick. Yeah, my, uh, Michael York is all in. I mean, like, yeah, they 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 kind of find it funny that they get yeah. these guys down, and that that's that was unsettling to me because I'm like, well, Michael York's ostensibly our hero here. Let's go on here, and but it doesn't take long for basically it's like a murder mystery at that point because he discovers this mysterious Ankh symbol that the guy has, and he goes to investigate it, and he finds out that the Ankh is the 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 clue to this group uh, that that is all about sanctuary, which is supposedly this place where runners can get away and you can go live in sanctuary and you never actually have to regenerate and that's that starts the whole sort of plot and process is right. that he's looking for the zonk and then he goes to the computer and the computer says well we want you to investigate sanctuary and it accelerates his aging yeah. for four years it basically cuts four years of his years of his of his life out and that starts well, where he becomes a runner hence the title logan's run and there's we get a, a little bit of um you know kind of a, an indication of what the life is for a runner when he goes back to his apartment and they have this weird device where you can basically just call someone up to be like your sex partner yes and the first it's like it's real life tinder i yeah, mean right yeah He's swiping, you know, he's swiping left, swiping right until he finds, you know, Jenny Agner shows up and, and they're, but they're actually there. It's not just like a, a computer screen. They just show, you put yourself on the circuit and whoever, you know, if, if it's a match and then there you go. And right. also the assumption is that there will be sex. It's the only reason to go on the circuit. Right. Because you know, the first person he calls up is a guy. Right. And the guy that he calls up is clearly into it. And then right. Michael York is like, no, 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 I'm not into it. So he basically, as you said, swipes, swipes right. And yeah. then he calls up Jenny Agater, and you know, I'm sorry, you know, any computer system that can call up Jenny Agater at a moment's notice, like talk about a future liberals one. I mean, I, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, I'm ready to sign up for that. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> I mean, she's still, and you know, it's funny. We get again some indications of like how, for all of the uh, obviously the dystopian notions of this, there is freedoms inherent to this world that were not existing at the time and that like michael york's character t- talks about logan i should call him logan logan is talking to to jenny agater and she is like she's a little uncertain and he first says something like oh is it that you're into girls right and she's like no 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 and but i mean there's no judgment there there's no like what's wrong with you it's like oh clearly in this future world there is a sort of pansexual freedom to just do whatever you want and there isn't any sort of which i thought that was a nice little touch is that you know okay in this future everybody's kind of just having sex with everybody else which is you know definitely plays into the whole hedonism kind of thing of this world and that's what it is it's like everything anything that feels good is okay right you know anything that will you know and 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 there's also the the sense of you know the only thing that we see the only services that we really see you know, other you know are, are the two businesses. They are ones where you can change your looks, presumably to become better looking. Um, although the idea is also that the whole place is everybody's good looking. And then the other place, of course, is the sex club. Right. You know, everything is about appearance. Everything is about making yourself feel better. And it's all obviously a colossal distraction. I mean, whoever we never learn in the movie how this how this society became what it became. We don't know if the computers took over. We don't know if people program the computers a certain way. We never really get a sense of who the who the hidden hand is behind the whole thing, other than the fact that clearly this society has been this way for a very long time because nobody there remembers anything differently. And we know that it happened after a catastrophe. We know it happened hundreds of years, you know, in the future. But what happened 
to get there had to obviously happen hundreds of years before. So, but what we've come to is this world that you're right, there isn't any judgment. People can just basically live the lives that they want and be completely relaxed and completely self-absorbed. The trade-off being is that then, you know, only until they're 30. Now, did you notice that like there is no, there are no non-white people in the Logan's Run world? And I don't know whether that's an accident of just the way things were cast back then, or that was on purpose. There's, it's all white people. This whole movie, the, every person except for Box, except for Box, which is a, com- yeah. a robot uh, right. played by Roscoe Lee Brown. But yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just noticed that like really early on. I'm like, this is the whitest. Like. It, it is. There's no black people here. There's no Asian people, and I, I don't know whether that was accidental or not. You know, it's true because in those days, it, you know, even by the, the mid '70s, though, you would think that they would have just had it be a multicultural, right? You know, sort of like Star Trek. You know, it would have just been. You know, they would have made sure that everybody was represented in some form. But you're right. That may very well be another sinister aspect of it is that it is an all white society. Yeah, I mean, this 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 whole world definitely prescribes a certain very narrow notion of what people. Good people look like. I mean, you said you mentioned there's the whole scene where they go to the plastic surgeon. Now, the plastic surgeon uh, is played by Michael Anderson Jr., who is the son of the director. Son of the director, yeah. Son of the the director. I I don't think his performance is is terribly good. And so I have to – well, I think he got the game out early because we know why. (laughs) His his assistant is Farrah Fawcett. Yes. Uh, So you're talking – this is 1976. She is at her most Farrah Fawcett-y. Yeah. Uh, at that point. And there's that whole scene where um, Logan wants to get his, his face changed. And of course, it all goes wrong with the lasers that cut in and becomes this whole sort of horrific sequence. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great. It's, it doesn't take all it doesn't take Logan long to find out that, yeah, everything of this world is all surface. And yeah. I don't know. This is the part like I like the ideas in this movie, but the visuals are so kind of threadbare. I mean, like, the, the costume that the doctor wears is barely better than what you would see in, like, Far Out Space Nuts. It was it was basically, I, I, I to me, it was right, he, as I was watching it, I thought, that's, like, right out of Lost in Space. Yeah. And the, and the computer equipment looks like it was, you know, surplus from the Batman, you know, from the Batcave. You know, this is stuff that was good 10 years out of date. You're right that there were, I mean, they, they in, in the same way that Conquest of the Planet of the Apes uses its, its surroundings as shorthand for the future... It looks very much, you know, looking in the in the in the you know looking backward forty years, it really just looks like a nineteen seventies mall, or a nineteen seventies you know a, a a big hotel like like the hotel in um, High Anxiety, right. you know, with with, right. with this gigantic atrium and these outdoor elevators and and whatever you're seeing, it seems very much you know that kind of sanitized world. Uh, in the same way that and and the outs the ex, the exterior of the of the um, of the Dome City reminds me of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which is basically this outdoor office and shopping area that just, you know, was very modern at the time. And I guess people figured, okay, that looks futuristic enough. But you're right about the effect. I mean, I actually think the effects of the actual lasers cutting through the, you know, the clothes and, and on the face and all of that stuff, I think that's pretty effective. But you're right. You know, the, the, the outfit he's wearing and there are certain elements to the whole thing that, that seem kind of on the cheap. Yeah, it's a very I, to me it's it's a, a sci-fi movie made by kind of older people at the time, 
and they, you know, they had this kind of notion of this is what sci-fi looked like, and it was sort of sure. took George Lucas to kind of say, no, 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 people wear regular clothes. They don't wear, right. you know, things with sparkles on them, and like, right. you know, nobody looks like aliens. So that that sequence, I liked how it was put together, but the, the costumes and the computers, yeah, I mean, he's got this. The Doctor has this giant, uh, you know, control panel, which do, which yeah. is doing this very highly complicated surgery, and it's basically got two knobs on it. Yeah, and, and it's he's, got, he's and operating it's got, the whole thing by left to left or right, you know. Right, anodyne numbers that that rather than being like, I mean, the the thing is when, and it is you're right, the stark difference because when when Logan walks into to meet with the big computer, I mean that's that's really cool space agey looking stuff. You know, you've got him sitting there. I, you know, she goes identify, and he has to put his his little life clock. I could say that all day. Uh, put the life clock on the on the little on the little pyramid thing, and then he's you know, watching the screen and it's talking and it's pausing at really awkward times. So the whole thing really feels uncomfortable. And, but you've got those gigantic orbs, different colored, or, I mean, it looks really, really cool, but you're right. It looks kind of, you know, sloppy once they get to, to, to the new you, except for the, the laser bed itself, which I still think holds up. <laughs> and I mean, so the scene where they go to actual sanctuary, like right. that, I liked a lot because they kept that kind of minimal where, He's, you know, he's met with all the, the, the people that are that are there hiding and it's done really effectively because it's all done mostly in silhouette. We never see the faces of anybody and they are they're pointing like those lit up spears at, yes. at, at Jenny, at Francis and, and Logan or no, yeah, no, Jessica, I'm sorry. And yeah, Jessica, Jessica and Logan. Yeah, and I like that a lot, and like the way that the voiceover, uh, you never see who's talking. Like I but thought that was older. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was creepily effective. Where there's threat because they don't believe him. They think he's a spy, of course. Right. Because they're like, well, no, he's a Sandman. How can you? And Jessica's like, no, no, we got to trust him. Like that right. whole sequence is done. I couldn't help but notice that that voiceover is yeah. done by the actor Johnny Hamer. Who I only know mostly from Mash. He was Sergeant Zale on Mash. It's every time I hear somebody from right. Mash, he pops up. He's the it's sad. Right. He's Johnny Hamer. Yeah, that's I, a, I, I, yes, Sergeant Zale. Sergeant Zale. I would recognize recognize that voice from a mile away. I was like, oh, why is okay? Sergeant Zale's in this movie. That's okay, that's funny. Uh, and then the big set piece really is when they go to the frozen ruins. Wait, hold on, hold on. We we skipped over the love the love room, which I only oh, have to mention. Okay, we do have to talk about the love room. We, we have to talk about that, and 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 the reason. Reason we have to talk about that because again, you talk about the difference in you know forty-one years. You know, I saw this when I was eight years old. You know, in the movie theater. This is rated PG, and it's an orgy scene. Now, I don't know if you actually get any nudity in the scene or not. You know, it's it's all you know smoke and slow motion, but it's all just grinding bodies and. Colored lights and everybody, and it's basically just you know this orgy slash whatever. Anyway, I just remember sitting there thinking at eight years old, just like my mind blown, like what the hell, <laughs> what the hell is this? Like, like completely like, and then they leave, and I remember feeling like this sense of like, can we go back to that other scene? But also, like, really relieved that they were out of there. I just remembered that, you know, my little eight-year-old mind being totally blown. But it's the kind of thing that that's what PG was then. You know, that's a, that's a, that's def, that's at least PG thirteen now, if not a rated R scene. It might not be quite a rated R scene, but it's not the kind of thing that you would expect in some kids' uh, uh, sci-fi movie the way you described it before. 
Yeah, I mean, it's basically like a permanent Studio 54 right. just going on in there. And it's, right. it's, it's weirdly in that, like, these people are so in a state of constant arousal that they don't right. even notice that neither Logan or Jessica really want to be there. They're trying to, like, right. fight these people off, and they're being, like, yeah. pulled. It's like zombies, yeah. except it's sex zombies, you know? Right. But you're right. Yeah, I don't really think you see anything, but it's, it's got a seediness to it that is really upsetting. And you just are like, wow, yeah. this, was, this was PG? This, this yeah. Movie? And so talk about pushing the PG rating because right. the next scene, yes. <laughs> when they go into the frozen waste where they meet uh, the robot box, which is really one of the film's lesser effects, I will say. Yeah. But yeah. immediately they're, they're, their clothes are all wet. And right. uh, Logan says, well, let's take off these wet clothes and put on these these uh, these furs so we can warm up. And we get basically full-on nudity yeah. from, from Jenny Agner. Again, not complaining, but I'm right. just amazed at the amount of nudity that they were able to put it's, into a PG movie. We see lower Jenny Agner, upper Jenny Agner. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we don't get anything from Michael, from, from Logan. No. He, you know, no. we don't see his butt. And so they clearly, I was like, they really talked Jenny Ogner into doing this level of nudity for a cheesy sci-fi movie. I'm like, and, and pretty it's, amazing. It's, it's so gratuitous that it's hysterical because that was, I mean, the seventies was gratuitous nudity. Anyway, there were so many movies that didn't, you know, and I'm not a prude. This isn't, this is just pure social anthropology here that I'm the reason I'm, I'm you know, because really I don't mind. But my point being, <laughs> my point is, my point is, is that you used to see this all the time. There are so many movies in the seventies that have, Pointless nude scenes because at that point, culturally, this was something that finally, you know, Hollywood could get away with. Right. This is right. something that just wasn't done. And so once the shackles were off, it was like, okay, let's have a nude scene for the sake of having a nude scene. And you saw this all the time. There are a lot of movies that during this time period where you would see these kinds of things. You're like, oh, there's nudity for no good reason. You don't see that really like that anymore unless it really, you know, unless it's a sex scene or unless there's some reason for it, you know, or, but there they used to just do it for the hell of it. And, even the way he says it, you know, she's like, oh, we're cold. Let's, let's grab those things over there and, you know, wrap ourselves around. He goes, but we should take our clothes off first. <laughs> he, he says it in such a way that <laughs> I laughed out loud yeah. when I saw it. I was like, oh, come on. So, and she's like, okay. And they, they both of them just rip off their clothes. And you're right. She leaves almost nothing to the imagination. I mean, her outfit is already, you know. Yeah. Bill Tice level star original Star Trek, yes, you know, barely there costume, but yeah, I mean, right. the camera just sits there and watches her right. undress. Right. It is completely <laughs> gratuitous, it is absolutely gratuitous. So yeah, they meet Box, the giant robot, which is, yeah. and we find out the sinister secret, of course, is that all the people that have gotten away from Logan's from from uh, the city are turned into food. Right. This is just a giant refrigerator, and that's right. the, and Box is the guy who's running all this, and you know. I like the idea of box, but the effect of box is yeah. When you look at box and you see how stiff it is, I mean, it it's it's just tin foil yeah. on a on a refrigerator that's put on wheels. And then right. you look at the fact that C three PO right was less than a year away. It looks like not even less than a year. I mean, three PO was basically being built or being filmed at the time that this yeah. movie was being released. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, and I, I guess is the is the explanation that the that the now here's where the thing about 
you know, I've seen this movie so many times and know the, the plot and, and the overall overarching plot, but when you actually watch it again, and I just finished it again, you know, not a couple hours ago, was that the, the leaps of faith and the leaps of logic that are required actually to get to point A from point B, um, or I said that backwards, but the, <laughs> yeah, you know, you actually have to take some leaps to get to where they're going because even, even as far back as when Logan is taking his years away from him and he's making suppositions that aren't entirely made clear by the, by the computer when he says something about people never being renewed. And the, and the computer obviously ominously doesn't answer because the computer, I guess, won't lo- actually outright lie to him as opposed to let him just question everything. But even here, it's not entirely clear. Is it every runner that's – because the number that they point on – the computer tells him it's uh, 1,056 runners that are unaccounted for. But that cannot possibly be the entire number of runners that have ever escaped from the Sandman. It would seem to me that there would have been a lot more over centuries, but maybe they really are that, that efficient. But even then, when they freeze the bodies, is, this, is the suggestion that the bodies are being for food for Box or for food for the city? I mean, is this like a Soylent Green moment? Because that's still never been entirely clear to me that they are being frozen for food to feed the populace. From the, the, the reviews that I have read, people seem to suggest that it's food for the city. Yeah. That, that Box is just there to process all this. And right. That's what this goes That's on. his job. He says it's his job. So yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, I mean, like I said, that gives it a weird, you know, like, okay, this is, I mean, the whole notion, I mean, this is based on a book. We didn't even mention that. This is already based on a, a book that was published right. in the late 60s. And I guess the whole idea is that this is a fear of, like, the incipient, like, hippie generation. Is that, you know, the whole idea that the older generation was so scared of, the, the, the oncoming generation, that everything was peace and love, that it's like, well, well, let's extrapolate this to its, you know, quote unquote, logical conclusion that, you know, if you just sit around all day doing drugs and having free sex, you're going to lead to this nightmare scenario uh, is that, you know, because you're just going to lead to all these people that are just not doing anything with their lives. And that's that's sort of the terror underneath of this, this story is that, oh, my God, none of these people are going to have jobs. Nobody's going to accomplish anything. It's all we're, this is where we're headed. And I guess the I guess you figure the natural version of that is, OK, well, the earth gets destroyed and people are just going to have to live off each other. And of course, so this is not a self-sustaining world. If you're if right. you're if you're literally eating yourselves to survive. Right. This is not a self-sustaining world. This is we're, right. we're, we've turned into cannibals at that point. We just don't. Right. know. But the people are too dumb to know. I mean, they're kind of like the Eloy from the Time Machine, where they're just oh, they're incredibly stupid people. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the, the 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 the. I mean, the only one with 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 any intelligence at all is Logan, and they show that at the very beginning. He's, he's from the very from the very opening scene when he's in the nursery. He's questioning. You, know, you could tell that there are, there are things inside his head that are that are not you know considered. Uh, you know, uh, appropriate thought for for anybody in that society, let alone Sandman. But the but but and your point is well taken about about how yes, this is definitely a cautionary tale against hedonism. And and you're right, that kind of existential, you know, post '60s, you know, fears of the me generation and and all of that stuff that was going on in the mid '70s. But there was also the other side of it, which was if we don't stop pop, you know, polluting our planet, if we don't you know, get whatever, I mean, the, the implication there was a great disaster, the implication being that there was nuclear war or something, you know, there's also those other greater existential fears that were, that were so prevalent at the time, actually prevalent today too, obviously, but at the time was, was, you know, you know, midst of the cold war. So it has those elements too. It's not just being fearful of the younger generation. There is the flip side of that with the younger generation was always blaming the older generation for polluting the planet. 
And so, and then eventually, our heroes want, do wander outside, and right. they meet. Uh, well, we see all these ruins. Everything is in. It's very Planet of the Apes, where you yeah. see all these. And the movie pretty much becomes Planet of the Apes after this. This right. is that, yeah. I mean, even even when they're in the city itself, before the music changes over, because the music in the city is all synth. You know, heavy, you know, that whole bit. And then they go outside and then all of a sudden Aaron Copeland breaks out and it's all soaring, you know, you know, uh, uh, symphonic music, the rising of the sun and all of that. But even when they're running, because it's Jerry Goldsmith who did the, the music for both movies, Planet of the Apes and for Logan's Run, you know, you've got that doom, doom. Do, 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 you know, when they're running around. So you, right. you, the, the, the influences are, are definitely there, whether consciously or subconsciously. But at this point, yeah, I mean, they're basically going through the forbidden zone from, from this point all the way until they make it, you know, instead of, instead of getting the uh, Statue of Liberty buried in the surf and, and Charlton, you know, you know, Charlton Heston, you know, pounding the ground, now you get the, these two basic, you know, idiots going up and seeing this gigantic statue of Lincoln, which of course is horrifying for the, for the audience, but also really cool. Um, and then they're like, who's the dude with the lines in his face? Right. They're completely baffled at the notion yeah. of anybody that doesn't look perfect and creaseless right. and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. 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 And that's a good effect seeing the Lincoln Memorial covered in, in vines and everything else. Really well done. Yeah. And then, so they meet, uh, the, they meet the old man played by Peter Ustinov. And I love Peter Ustinov. I always have. I think he's a great actor. He seems to kind of know the movie he's in yes. a little more. Like he's taking it a little less seriously. Yeah. And when I, when you first see him, he's living in basically the Senate chamber, I believe. Yeah, the, 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 the Capitol Rotunda. Yeah. Or the Rotunda, right. And yeah. he's living where with like a ton of cats. Yeah. And I'm basically like, okay, well, so that's my future. I, that's going to be me. I'm going to be the Houston right. off guy. That's, that's what I have to look forward to. Quoting T.S. Eliot while you're doing it. Yeah, maybe I'll be quoting probably Dylan lyrics. But it's, you know. It's okay. Half a dozen of one <laughs> or the other. Um, but, I mean, like, and, you know, they're confused by this guy because they're just like, you know, what what is this guy? And it's funny. I read about some things about what happened off the set is that, that Peter Ustinov apparently really got along well with Johnny Agater, which, you know, okay, who wouldn't? Yeah, uh, sure. But they really got along. And she looks really, like, you can almost see that on the screen. Like, she looks really delighted by yeah. him, and maybe it's part of her character, and she talks right. about, can I touch your face? Do those cracks right. hurt? And, yeah. he's, and he's all kind of like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. Like that. You're talking about how these people are idiots, and they kind of right. are. Yeah. And so it's kind of nice to see someone who is, like, not bought into this whole thing. Because to the right. point, to, you know, to this point in the movie, everybody's on board. I mean, yes. even, even though Michael York and Logan is a little more questioning, he still is pretty much part of it. But so yeah. it's, it's fun to meet somebody who's like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. You know, this this is a guy we recognize. He's just right. like he's been living out in, in nature. And you know what? Everything looks pretty, pretty nice. You know? Well, that's the other that's the other thing that, that it made me wonder also, because, again, and not that you have to have everything spelled out. What isn't spelled out is were they conned into the city that they lived in? The idea that they couldn't live outside the dome was it was that a con job? You know, was everything actually OK out there? But to control whatever populace they needed to control, this is what, the way the society developed. Or did basically things get better? You know, after after the nuclear fallout or the pollutants, you know, whatever happened to them, you know, has has time elapsed long enough for basically the nature to return? You know, the the the, the country, the, the world is green again. So 
I'm not sure if that was. I, I'm just not sure what the what the message is supposed to be there. Yeah, you're right. I, I'm confused with that too. Uh, I I guess if I when I think about it a little more, I'm assuming that in the in the wake of some Holocaust, yeah. this system developed itself, and then like a lot of self, it just became a self perpetuating thing. It became right. only interested in its own self perpetuation, and even though something changed on the outside. The system on the inside was so rigid that they simply never bothered to look. You know. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with that either way. My question is, uh, yes, and, and and I think that is the obvious premise. It's it's whether or not the world has always been out there fertile, and they and they and the the, the populace, you know, because generations had passed, either had forgotten or were conned or whatever it was, or have things gotten better? And they, you, you understand what I'm saying? Was, yeah. Was, why did they end up moving inside the city? The opening te- you know, text card tells us because it was a basically after a great disaster and the world was too polluted. They get out there and they find out that it's not polluted at all. They can swim. I mean, they even make a point, you know, also talk about a, a scene taken right out of Planet, Planet of the Apes, the Apes jump yeah. off a cliff into a fresh spring, you know, spring water. I mean, there's there's no pollutants. There's, there's cats, you know, and cats apparently have been existing just fine for a very long time also. And also since Peter Ustinov is only, I mean, let's say he's 75 or 80 years old, okay, the character at this point. He remembers his parents. He does remember them being alone. But he also, you know, so clearly there was still life was going on even outside of the dome. And, and I guess the question that I have is, you know, what, what was that life? I mean, it's not really that important for the point of the story, and I get that. It's just one of those things when I was re-watching it that I thought, huh, was there a disaster, or was this just another part of the big lie that was being told to these people? I, I feel like it, it plays in a little bit with the fact that we never actually, other than Richard Jordan, who is the right. other Sandman, who was completely in, completely buys yeah. in. Like he, once he finds out that his friend is a runner, he goes after him with no compunction at all. I mean, he, he's the, he's a fanatic, and yeah. he's a great fan. You know, we were. I was thinking about this also when I was watching him, and 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 you and I have talked about this before. Uh, you know how I, I, throughout the '70s, I was perpetually casting a Batman movie, right, right. And, and and I always had you know Christopher Lee and Caroline Munro, you know what would be Ra's al Ghul and, and Talia, and I never did you know seize on who the perfect Batman was because I never saw him as Robert Redford or you know Paul. You know, in the same way that they cast Christopher Reeve, you know, super, they, you, you didn't want any of the big stars. I always wanted sort of someone who you didn't necessarily know. And I watched Richard Jordan, and Richard Jordan is broods with the best of them in this movie. <laughs> he doesn't have the build, but I could definitely see him pulling off, you know, that kind of sinister, you know, th- the thing that Batman would need. Um, he doesn't, you know, physically, his, you know, he, he would need a total makeover, but he has he has the right element now. Since I do tend to see the whole world, you know, through the prism of Batman, I had to mention that. But moving on to the rest of the movie, <laughs> and Richard Jordan, he's great, and he chews the scenery so well. Oh yeah, that that he he does want to give you know uh, you know uh, uh, Logan the benefit of the doubt when he lets the ru- the 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 runner leave. You know, he says, "I did, you know, I, I I you know I covered for you. I let that go." But the fact that not only was he running, but also when he was protecting Jessica, and he's just like, "You're dead to me." And he's so fanatical about chasing him down. It's like right out of Les Mis. When he has a chance, the the, the part where he gets to drop on 
Jessica is like kind of a great horror scare moment yes. where she's she's you know she's relaxed she's petting yeah, the kitty cat yeah. looking at the books and all of a sudden there he is and he's completely yep. okay yeah you're right he's he's you know and what I guess where I was thinking about was like the fact that other than Richard Jordan who is just a functionary of this world we right. never we never get to see like a big bad like there well, is no big bad it's just this computer system that's just running everything there is no like secret council of people like on Krypton that's running all this. Right. It really is just a giant computer system that is forcing this to happen. And I thought that was right. kind of interesting in that there, it's a it's a faceless villain, essentially. Well, that was the that was the um, you know, that's a, another very, you know, again, exists very much today, but was also really intense at that particular time. The fear of technology, which a lot of the dystopian science fiction of the time, that was an undercurrent. You know the the extension of how much do we let automation take over our lives, and when and this movie plays a lot with that. And again, it's that same question that I I had earlier: Are we to assume that the computers took over, or was there presumably a group of people that set the computers up that way? But it happened so long ago that only now the computers are now in charge. That anybody who would have known any differently is now gone. And that's sort of, I think that sort of plays to that, that there isn't necessarily, like you say, some star chamber. There's no, there's no emperor here. It's this sanitized, sterile, cold computer that basically speaks. I mean, you've got, like you say, Francis is the functionary, but it's this computer that speaks for the society in its, and it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's it's there. There, you know, there's like no. Uh, it's like going to the DMV. You know, there's no argument. There's no nothing. You can't. You're not going to get anywhere. It's just because I mean, the whole scenes with with Logan talking to the computer and he's trying to right. argue, and the computer's like that does not that answer does not compute. Right. That's it. That's it. There's no argument. You know, right. and you feel that kind of like oh my god. Now, Michael York. I don't know. I you know it could be a generational thing. Like I don't. I don't get like this guy as a leading man. No, I mean, it seems too fey, too yeah. kind of namby pamby. But then, like when I was first watching it, when well, I first watched, when I was rewatching it, I was like, boy, this might have really worked. More have been interesting if they had gotten like a Harrison Ford type, like a more rugged guy. And then I thought about it some more, and I was like, well, actually, this world is so pampered. Everybody here is so coddled that to me, it is plausible that this is like in this movie's world. Michael York is a badass. Like, yeah, that's how kind of like thin they've gotten. He's, is that he, he? You know, this this guy is presumably like a, a figure of authority. He's he's Jared Kushner in a flak jacket, is what he. <laughs> and, I don't think they do insult Michael York that badly. No, you? no, no, no. But the character—it's not Michael York. I'm insulting. Okay, fair, but, enough, but, fair enough. But yes, I watched the same thing too, and I thought to myself, you know, I've always taken it for granted that Michael York is the star of this movie, and then I thought. Michael York is the star of this movie? Yeah. Why Michael York? He just doesn't seem... You know, this is the guy who was head over heels for Sally Bowles in Cabaret and then later was Basil X position. Yeah, how, <laughs> right, right. How did he end up leading what, up until that point, until Star Wars really was one of the biggest sci-fi, you know, adventure movies? And you're right. I think in the end it was a brilliant stroke of casting that he actually is that smooth, that he is almost delicate in a yeah. way that they, you know, he's also a terrible shot, by the way. I yeah, mean, you, think, yeah. you think stormtroopers can't kill anybody. These guys were terrible. <laughs> um, 
you know, really cool. Look. I like the I like the fact the you know that they didn't have actual laser beams. They just had that little the little blue flame things that would pop out the front. I always thought that was really really cool. And obviously, I'm sure that's that saved on effects also. Right. But 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 yeah. In, in as I watched the movie, I thought to myself, this is really weird that he is the star of this movie. But then. Then I, when I when it hit me, I was like, actually, he is the perfect star for this movie because it's not like they needed you know rugged people. They didn't need, in a way, Richard Jordan is is a little too rough around the edges for that society. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like you you couldn't have you know Steve McQueen running around because you, you, right. you, you would not buy that Steve McQueen would fall for this. Steve, right. Steve McQueen would just be rebelling. Loving, right. Right. And, the previous year, Michael York had been in one of my favorite movies of all time, Murder on the Orient Express. Right. And that, to me, is the perfect Michael York casting. Because there, he is like a real, like, you know, he's a ladies' man, but he's like a real, like, fop. You know, he's talking about, he's like, oh, they're only spitting your butt on your passport. Like, he's just such a, <laughs> he's such a fop. And it's like, that's the perfect, to me, Michael York role. So, you're well, yeah, putting him in there, this is like perfect, perfect, perfect. Let me slow down. This is like perfectly opposite casting that at yeah. first makes no sense. And then the more you watch, you're like, oh, no, it, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I also, I'm, you know, there's something else that occurred to me also talking about, you know, little little pop culture references and stuff. When now, again, because, again, I, I can't think of anything too long without thinking of Batman. The scene when they met the Cubs, which we kind of jumped over when they when they go to the part of the city, the cathedral plaza. Where which which we see on the on the wall had been established 200 years earlier because it says A.D. so that you're not so you know that they were talking about a year. The head cub is a guy named Billy, and all I kept thinking was Billy don't shiv, which (laughs) from The Dark Knight Returns. And I keep saying, was this on in the background when Frank Miller was banging out his his script that day? You know, was he at the computer? You know, was he at not the computer when he was was he at his you know, IBM Selectric tapping away and it's on TV and someone's saying, you know, cut him up, Billy, cut him. I'm like, Billy, that's it. I'm writing Billy into the, you know, because it's the, basically the same world that the, the mutants in, in Dark Knight Return are the Cubs. You know, it's that it's it, only they have them contained and, you know, and ghettoized into this one part of the city. But anyway, where were we on the plot at this okay, point? Well, they, I guess they've headed back to the there, city. Yeah, there is a big fight, the big fight. Yeah, there is the big thing at the big fight at the end. And I do want to talk about the little bit of the legacy of this, this movie, because there is some some other things worth mentioning yeah. here, but in terms of the ending, this I, I get the, the the ending fight is fine. The one the other part is moving around like it doesn't eh, is where they make it back to the city and Jenny Je- keeps coming over Jenny. I'm looking at this picture of Jenny Agutter yes. as I'm talking. It's very distracting. Jessica and Logan make it make it back to the city with the old man, and they basically just start yelling at everybody, like yeah. "Don't go to the carousel!" Yeah. And it's one of those things where, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this whole futuristic world is undone just by a couple of people yelling. Yeah. You know, like the, everybody turns all of a sudden, and it reminded yeah. me like a little bit of the ending of uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier, which ironically enough also had Jenny Agutter in it, where it's like it's like all of Hydra is brought down. Like Captain America going on the the PA and telling everybody, "Hey, Hydra's taking over," and all of a sudden, it, like it fixes everything. And it's like, right. like this whole futuristic city is undone by the by a runner and Jessica yelling at them, telling them not to go to the carousel anymore, and everybody just sort of does it. And that's all like, boy, that well, was easy, you know. Well, here's Jeez. A, here's a, yeah, the, the the thing about that for the jump. One thing worth mentioning, you talk about the, you know, over-the-head uh, symbolism is during during the big fight, of course, what do they fight ultimately with? A torn-up American flag. So in case you missed the point, <laughs> now now 
the director, Michael Anderson, is like putting, taking you by the back of the head and said, look, 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 you know? So there, there is that. But yes, of course, then they begin the walk back, which for some reason only takes five minutes of movie time. It always feels like it takes an eternity. That for whatever reason, that always feels like the movie just takes forever at that point. Yeah, they get back to the city. They can't figure out how to get back in. So they swim, you know, it, you know the impossible swim. And this is where, again, I was saying, saying before that there are leaps of faith that you need to make in this movie. Because it really does, you know, even within the confines of the movie, it throws out its own logic a couple of too many times that it doesn't really bear up to hard scrutiny. And one of them is this very, this very thing. The two of them make it to Carousel, and they're screaming and yelling, and people are kind of like, what's that all about? And then, of course, the cops grab them, and then you have the classic Captain Kirk situation where they take them, you know, they take Logan to headquarters— and Logan's thoughts just overwhelm the computer and everything blows up. And then everybody decides that they're going to believe them. But even through all of that, as cool as it looks, it makes little narrative sense at all, especially with the world that they built with this, with this society. They're, they're, they were so, the thing about the society is, that's made clear is that the vast majority of the people there want to believe what they want to believe. They're not going to be, they're not going to be listen, you know, they're not going to listen to a Logan. You know, what actually would, would it would be, a, you know, a more appropriate and more horrifying ending is that, they don't listen to them in the end and they end up in cathedral or they end up executed or whatever. And life goes on. They weren't going to do that at this point. That's not the movie they wanted to make. They wanted to have a happy ending or at least, you know, raise the specter of it. But even at that point, even when they start blowing up the buildings and they blow up the headquarters because, you know, Michael York's, you know, thoughts are too much for them. When they all, when, when old man is standing at the, at the, the water, the hydroelectric station or whatever it is that they kind of allude to, all of these people come over the rise and are standing at the top. And I kept thinking to myself, what kind of society are these people going to build? Because they are the dumbest people <laughs> that ever lived on the planet Earth. We, and again, it's that, it's that other side of, of you know, they had, a, they had a horrible society. But these people now, given the freedom to make decisions – what horrible decisions are they going yeah, to make? Yeah, they, they are not ready to, to, to withstand a moment's uh, frustration, or yeah. they will never you know, be like, well, we're going to have to all sacrifice a little. For yeah, a better, oh, no, 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 no. I, I need to have my, my, need to have my, my sex bot, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you, you can almost see it. You can almost see it like at the end of the Ten Commandments with, you know, Edward G. Robinson, you know, you know, Logan's, go, Logan's going off to figure out a way to run this society, and while he's gone, everybody decides to build a golden calf and make unclean acts upon each other. Right. <laughs> it does have that vibe. I never really thought it made that connection. Really but they, never, they never finished the thought, but that's all I keep thinking. I'm like, you know, you're going to have Dathan running around, nah, where's your deliverer now? Nah. <laughs> you know? and, and Deborah Padgett, the poor thing, gets gets tied to the calf, and they're going to start, things are going to be explode. It's basically going to be one gigantic, angry love shop scene and then and then Lo, and then logan would come back and say you know and he's gonna throw the tablets down and then you know that'll be that so <laughs> it's got that going for it which is maybe why we don't have a logan's run too it just didn't which you know. which is interesting too because a movie that was this successful and I, and i don't and i don't know enough and maybe one of your listeners could fill in the blanks but i want i know that you know they they ultimately decided let's do a tv show you know, they did have the Marvel comic. There was some, I think, uh, merchandising. But really, everything, you know, when, when, when Star Wars hit the following years, and when you think of the difference between the two movies, and you think of the dividing line of, and, and you know, you're a few years younger than me, but I remember Star Wars being before Star Wars and after Star Wars. Yeah. And that the, that the world of 
the world of popular culture, and it wasn't even just the, the larger impact, but in terms of what a movie could achieve and what a movie could look like and feel like, especially adventure cinema, especially sci-fi, was so radically different after Star Wars. Because even 2001, which is beautiful and one of my three or four favorite movies of all time, it actually owes more, not visually, but thematically, it owes more to Logan's run than it does to Star Wars. Oh, I mean, sure, sure. They're, they're polar opposites, Star Wars and 2001. But 2001 is the pinnacle of that kind of, I, I, not necessarily dystopian, but this this sense of not everything is on its, not everything as it seems, don't let the machines take over, don't lose our humanity, and all of those all of those themes that are tied up in Logan's Run are done you know, much more intelligently and much more artfully done in 2001. But there's a lot of similarity there in terms of, in terms of the theme. Um, but basically, that was it. You know, after after Star Wars, I, I wonder if they just figured there was no point. I don't know, or or whether they figured they couldn't make something at that level, or whether they lost interest. Do you have any insight as to why there never was a sequel? Because if you talk about a movie that was that could have had a sequel, it could have been its own series. It's this one. I mean, this this could have been a second Planet of the Apes kind of franchise, but it just never panned out. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. I mean, see, you mentioned they did try and do the TV series. Uh, obviously, it, it didn't. I haven't seen it. I've only seen clips of it on YouTube. Right. It, it didn't last. It had Gregory no. Harrison, yeah. uh, in the main role, and it just, it, as far as I understand, like it just rebooted the frame, rebooted the whole story, right. which is always part of the problem when you do TV series based on a movie that had a definable end, because you have right. to undo the ending. You right. know, you have to like, well, we got to start over. We can't, you know, we don't want to have everybody living in the post Logan's Run world. So right. we're just going to we're going to scale the thing back to the ending. We're like, well, I, I like the story as I saw it. And then, they, of course, we, they did do the comic book. It only ran seven issues. It only got, I think, one or two issues past the movie right. before it was canceled. So obviously it wasn't a big hit there. Yeah, so it was, it's unusual that a, a something that was as massively successful as this movie was just sort of stopped. Right. It didn't go away. You know, people just – I guess it was one of those things where it was like, okay, I, I, I like this world as a one-off, but I don't want to see it keep going. I mean there's, there's something to be said for that, believe me, because it's nice to actually have a movie that has a beginning, a middle, and an yeah. end. But it also is one of these things that I'm still curious is, you know, 40, 41 years now since it was released, the fact that, that Hollywood and tele, you know, Netflix series being everything that they are, how nobody has come up with a way of rebooting it and doing it because some of those themes are still so prevalent now and could be done in such a, such a more – that's a story that is in its way, it's timeless. And yeah. it, could, it could be done again today, not just with better effects – but you could see that it would add a certain element of drama and a certain element of authenticity now that was not, you know, that, that was only kind of glanced at in, in 19, you know, when the movie was made in 74, 75, in that period. Yeah, I was thinking about like somebody like a Charlie Brooker who does Black Mirror. Like if you handed this to him, yeah. like that, a guy with a real sense of sophistication of storytelling. Yeah, I mean, this this has been in development, a, a, remo- a reboot of Logan's run for years and years and years, and it's yeah. never gotten anywhere. But yeah, I mean, with the society now of like you know obsessive with likes and being you know every every action is turned into a YouTube live video. Everything right. you do, I mean, you know, not to not to overstate it, but you could definitely see the, the the through line there of like, okay, well, these are there are probably a lot of people that would be perfectly happy to live in yes. that kind of world if everything was taken care of for them if they were constantly given the uh, the the the, the, the 
satisfaction of being known that they're popular and they get a lot of likes and they have a lot of followers. I mean, yes. you could, you're, I'd be willing to hand over that. For, I mean, we see, unfortunately, people are willing to hand over a lot of their freedoms for some sense of safety, whether it be safety from physical violence or terrorism or whatever. Uh, a lot of people would be willing to do it. So this, I mean, I'm not worried that we're going to live in the mall of America, that that's all going to happen. But it doesn't have to be that extreme for it to still be a pretty scary thought, a pretty scary future. So, well, in, in, you know, and not, and not to put, not to be too heavy handed about it, but when, you know, in a world that where we are so connected to our devices, yeah. where, you know, the, the whole issue of, of, you know, surveillance, the, you know, WikiLeaks and, and everything that goes on. And, and, you know, frankly, you know, the, it, it, like I was saying before, you know, the, the, the difference between Logan's run and, and, real life now is that you have the tinder app there you just have actual you know direct instant contact with a person but the idea is the same and i I just think that there are so many things that are going on right now that would lend itself to a retelling of this story in in a way that i actually find like at this point i would rather see another version of logan's run than than to see what they're continuing with planet of the apes which just seems to have gone completely off the rails with its reboot and doesn't have any of the same. I mean, because that's the other thing about these movies that you forget is that is at their they have such dark hearts, but they're also really, really entertaining. They're really interesting to watch and interesting to 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 experience. And you know, it's like I look back at and people look at think of of Planet of the Apes, for example, as this, you know, as as oh, it's that silly movie with the chimps walking around in rubber costumes. It's like yeah, but what happens at the end is that they blow up the world. You know, in, in the <laughs> end of Planet of the Apes, it's the only movie that I can still remember where, in the end, the Earth is destroyed, and that's it. And now, now of course, they they found a way to, to get around that. But the point being is that they actually went there for what was basically a PG sci-fi romp. Logan's Run has a lot of those, you know, th- those similarities, and yet it was also really entertaining and fun. The movie, it's a fun movie to watch. It's not what you're seeing so many of now, where where the, the intent is to make these make the movie, so many of the movies today that you see that are so serious that they beat the life out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and, and again, it's, it's, well, I think I've made my point. <laughs> yeah. Michael yeah. Anderson keeps things moving. I mean, he was yeah. a good action director. He did Duck Savage, Man of Bronze a couple of years right. earlier and did some other movies. And it's shot by Ernest Laszlo, who was, a, you know, one of the great cinematographers. So it's, right. it's a pretty movie to look at. And it's got Jenny Ogeter and never right. going to have a problem with a movie that has Jenny Ogeter in it. I'm still kind of like, I don't know, is it a good is it a good movie? I don't know. But it has enough interesting ideas in it that it, it's not easily dismissible. It's not just like, oh, that, you know. Yes, it looks cheesy compared to Star Wars, which was only a year later, but it, it has enough in it that when I was done with it, I didn't just forget about it. It was like, oh, no, you know, okay, yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff there, and it might be interesting to see it trying to done again in a different way with someone with a, a slightly, you know, edgier kind of view of, of sci-fi or something, but I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's a fun, interesting movie, and I'm glad I finally got a chance to sort of rewatch it, because it was, it was something that I watched once 20 years ago and sort of forgot about, so it was kind of cool to revisit it. Right, so for me, I, I mean, I, I do think it's a good movie. Um, I think it's got a lot of problems and a lot of things that definitely, you know, do, do not bear, you know, do not hold up under intense scrutiny. But it, it on the whole, it's, it's entertaining. It does drag. You could probably cut 20 minutes out of the movie and make it a lot more efficient. Um, but it, it definitely, I think that, it, you know, for the most part, it holds up, although, you know, with, with you know, some significant shortcomings. And, of course, for me and for other listeners like me, 
you can't lose that element. I mean, you saw it once 20 years ago. When you saw it as an adult, I could see not really wanting to go back and revisit it anytime soon. Right. But this was such a part of my life growing up and was, was such a such a startling movie to see at that age that anytime it came on television, it was something that we would watch on TV. And anytime, you know, later on, you know, as soon as, you, you know, you'd be able to get it on, v, you know, VHS, I would watch it. So this is a movie I've probably watched a dozen times over the last 40 years that, that you know, I, I tend to forget the parts I don't like and remember the parts that I do. But I could certainly see where you would come at it and say, you know, it's kind of lukewarm in the middle there. There's a lot to it. There's a, I mean, it's very 70s, but there's yeah. a lot more to it, and it's not as easily dismissed as I initially thought. So uh, I do one other little factoid I do want to mention, which breaks my heart here. It says, the film was previewed for test audiences prior to its release. A few sequences were edited or shortened as a result. These included a longer sequence in the ice cave where Box asked Logan and Jessica to pose for his ice sculpture. This was cut due to the extensive nudity so the film could receive a PG rating. Right, right. So, so there was more. And, and, but, but what got through was still considered okay for a PG. Ooh, things were fun back then. Things were so they were definitely different. All yeah. right. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's Logan's Run, everybody. Check it out. It's available on DVD and it's on iTunes and things like that. If, if, you, if you haven't seen all the 70s dystopian sci-fi, give, this, give Logan's Run a, a chance. It, it fits in well with what was going on in sci-fi in the, in the late 60s and early 70s. So, well, Dan, thank you so much for talking about Logan's Run. Thank you so much for cons- uh, insisting on it uh, via, via email. Uh, so where can people find you on the internet? 13th Dimension, 13thDimension.com. Yeah, we're, we never close. Uh, yeah, we, this, stuff like this. We do stuff like this all the time, whether it's movies or, you know, of course, as you mentioned, you're a column, but we do a, you, we do a ton on comic books and sci-fi. And, and uh, um, you know, if, if you like stuff like this and you like stuff that's, you know, kind of retro, uh, you should come check us out at 13thDimension.com. Plus, you can also follow us on Twitter and on the Facebook because you know we like technology. We're not. We're, we don't. We don't fear the dome. <laughs> That's right. I want to get one of those little outfits that the Sandman wears. They're, they're really, really sharp. They are, yeah, I'd like to get one of those T-shirts with the gray stripe across the front. <laughs> so I, I like that. Yeah. Um, of course, if you want to follow this show, there's all our back episodes over on our network site, which is FireAndWaterPodcast.com. In this and all the other great shows that we have, and you can follow the show over on Twitter, which is at Film and Water Pod. Now, normally I end the episode with like a little 30 second clip from the movie or something related, but I found on YouTube a making of documentary, which is from the time, 1976, and it runs about eight or nine minutes. And I actually liked it so much because you get to hear from Michael Anderson, you hear from Jenny Agutter. It's it's one of those like you know those fairly extensive documentaries made at the time. So I'm going to run the audio for that. It runs about seven or eight minutes. So enjoy this little backstage view. Of what was going on in the making of Logan's Run and until next week everybody that's a wrap perfect worlds of tomorrow and the wonderful things to come are themes that have always inspired people of imagination and creativity filmmakers have envisioned adventures of survival under the most catastrophic conditions or life in an ideal society Logan's Run is a new motion picture set in the 23rd century It depicts a perfect world in which people live and love in total pleasure. To create that complex world, producer Saul David and his company are using the technology of today and expanding it as a framework for the adventures of the future. 
devising a 23rd century where each day is devoted to the pursuit of pleasure. This one postulates a world in which you don't really have to do anything except enjoy, so that this utopia consists in a series of extrapolations of what seem to be pretty obvious tendencies today. Starting with new ideas and technology of this scope and making them come alive is a challenge to director Michael Anderson. Trying to define what a 23rd century utopia is. It's one of the most interesting things uh, of the preparation of this film that's, uh, that's come up. It's constantly an exciting day's work to come here every morning and create something that has not been done before. In the MGM workshops, a 23rd century maze car evolves from blueprints. Ingenious sets that depict the physical trappings of a future environment. Later, they'll be moved onto huge sound stages. Chris Outwater, one of America's leading scientists in the field of lasers and holograms, produces new light and image techniques. A great many experts work long and hard to construct the world of the future. Visual effects wizard Bill Abbott aims for the highest possible fidelity and credibility. Cinematographer Ernest Laszlo has an opportunity to experiment with innovative lighting. If the creation of the 23rd century offered a formidable challenge to each of these crafts, it presented an equal one to director Michael Anderson. He describes how this effort is being welded together. My job is to take all of their imaginations plus mine and channel them into a straight line. But it's only such a team as we have gathered together to make this film that gives us the reward of seeing something that we haven't seen on the screen before. And cut it. Not bad. Once more, please. It makes cross. Saul David and Michael Anderson develop a close relationship working on the set. We wanted to make the same movie, and so that there was an immediate marriage of ideas. The producer explains their perception of the theme of the film. This is a utopian movie, and like all utopian movies, it presents a marvelous future, but with a worm in the apple. In this world, the only thing you can't have is your 30th birthday. The star of the motion picture is Michael York. I play a character called Logan in the film. Now, Logan is, a, is a, what's called a Sandman. In fact, he's a policeman, but a very elite policeman. They belong to a force that almost like the SS that control this society. Sandmen have only one mission in life, to stop malcontents who try to run away from this perfect world of tomorrow. Jenny Agutter co-stars with Michael York. I'd seen her work both at the National Theatre, for example, and in the movies. Jen is extremely experienced. I mean, she's very young, but she, she's extremely professional. I play a girl called Jessica, who is uh, living in the 23rd century, in a society where everybody lives to the age of 30 and no longer. There are no responsibilities. And Jessica, I think, feels that there should be some more quality to their life and something else. is very much an adventure story. It travels through all sorts of possibilities of the society. It travels with two people trying to escape. Co-starring in the film is Richard Jordan. Richard! Got it. 
now he comes forward. Richard's a marvelous actor, one of the most exciting young actors that I've seen around for a long time. He's got a tremendous kind of vitality and, and, and passion about him, which is terrific to play with. Lots of nervous energy, almost Brando-esque. Where'd they go? The Sandman and his green. Didn't you see them? People seek a means to live longer in any society. The film envisions an attempt at life renewal in the 23rd century through a mystical liturgy witnessed by thousands of younger spectators in a jammed arena. To film the event, an enormous amphitheater has been constructed with a rotating carousel. The cameras photograph the action from all angles to give the audience realistic points of view during the ride. also has to devise a wholly different world outside the domed and controlled city. They fashion and construct one for scenes that show evidences of an earlier culture and another set of values. This is not just a film about special effects and extraordinary stunts and marvelous scenery, although that's a very important element and I think it should be quite staggering to look at. There is a very human story running through it. Producer Saul David and the company continue to project the theme that life in a utopia can sometimes have its drawbacks by preparing a sequence in the Sandman's headquarters. Michael Anderson readies, then films, an interrogation by a master computer. Logan is forced to rationalize his attempted defection from this world of total pleasure. Holograms, three-dimensional moving photographs, are fragments of Logan's subconscious being questioned. They're only one of the extensions the makers of this film are using, projecting today's advanced scientific technology into the 23rd century. Right, the oscillation starts. Barking. Arms come down. The arms come down. Take the lights out. Lights down. Keep the sparking going. This is a complex scene to film. The director blends the actions of his actors and the logistics of a multitude of special effects. ultra-modern interiors to film adventures that bedazzle the eye and assail the mind of an audience looking at the 23rd century. Under the direction of creative men, a talented cast and crew are working on a new motion picture of great imagination. 
using the skills of hundreds of crafts and specialists to enjoy life in a perfect world of things to come. A blend of technical marvels, effects, imagery, and action called Logan's Run. <laughs>